Lord Jesus. Uh, even just listening to prayer requests uh, throughout the week and even here this morning, there are a lot of us uh, who are ex- just experiencing a season where we feel stuck right now. And I thank you, God, that even in those seasons where we're stuck, you have not left or forsaken us. Even in those times when maybe we can't feel your presence, we can't see what you're doing, we have hope that you are still with us because you promised it. Uh, So, Lord, I pray that uh, as we work through this today, that you would make your presence known to us, that you would speak whatever it is you have for a people, that, Holy Spirit, you would bring your loving conviction that we would be a people more on fire for you, leaving than we were when we walked in. So we trust you with this time. Come and do what only you can do. Have your way with us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been going through, uh, this is now our third week, working through a series just called Stuck. Uh, It started a couple weeks ago, just saying, you know, as I've been talking with a lot of people in our body, and actually myself included in this, There are a lot of people who are saying, I've been in a season of of heaviness, of darkness, of of dryness. I'm I'm overwhelmed. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. We've all had bad days. We've all had even really tough weeks. But for some of us, these have been weeks on weeks or even months on months. And they become a season where we just feel stuck. Stuck in the mud like we've lost Uh, any motivation. We've lost momentum. You ever seen somebody like run and then they hit water and all of a sudden everything comes to a dead stop and every step is so much more work. And and many, just as we've been sharing with each other and small conversations at sharing times, you kind of just keep hearing this theme coming up. And so I've wanted to address stuck First of all, one of the things we said the very first week, it it is not sin to be stuck. There's a number of different reasons we can be stuck, some of which are even the Lord himself leads us into that place. Kind of like, John, I appreciate you sharing in the, the Lazarus story. There's the two days where Jesus doesn't go to Lazarus yet. And in that two days, they felt stuck. What do we do? Why, why does it feel like this? Should, couldn't we have done something different? But it was actually, Jesus said, no, I have a plan for this, and it'll be used for my glory. Jesus himself was led by the Holy Spirit right after baptism into the wilderness for 40 days. Talk about a dry and weary time. And it was the Lord himself that led him there. And so while sin itself will get us stuck every time, that is the natural reaction to sin in our lives is we will become stuck. That's what it does. It's not always sin to be stuck. And so one of the things that I I focused on and want to continue to focus on is stuck doesn't mean less valuable. Oftentimes when we get stuck in these seasons, especially when days become weeks and weeks become months, we start to go, I'm less valuable because I can't do this anymore. Because I can't help out like that anymore. Because I'm so tired, it's hard to even read my Bible anymore. My prayers feel like they're bouncing off the ceiling, and we start to feel less valuable. And in these stuck times, we need to first remind ourselves that our value is not based on what we bring to the table, because let's be honest, we bring nothing to the table. Our value is based on what he was willing to pay for us. Before we could ever do a thing for him, in fact, the scripture says, while we were still his enemies... Christ died for us. That same value applies to us even in those times that we're stuck. So being stuck doesn't mean less valuable. Last week, we looked at how should we handle being stuck. What are some things that we can do? Not that are quick fixes, do this, and by tomorrow morning, boom, you're unstuck. But things that put us in a position So that when the Lord is ready to move, we're in a position to receive. Does that make sense, church? So let's look at some of the things we talked about. Just run through them really quickly last week. First is restoration work. Not all stuckness is necessarily just spiritual. We are physical beings. We are emotional beings, mental beings, spiritual beings, all like wrapped into one. And one of the ways that we handle uh, this kind of 
manifold person here in our church, that's a big word, is we, we use the term buckets. And we talk about our spiritual bucket, emotional, mental, and physical buckets. And they're all tied together. These are the buckets we carry our energy around in. And as we go throughout the day, what happens? The energy gets lower. Hopefully, because we've been doing what the scripture says, I think of Isaiah 58, we spend ourselves on behalf of those God's put around us. And as we do, our bucket gets down. Also, just naturally, we're leaky buckets. And if we don't do the work of restoring ourselves, taking care of ourselves in each of those four areas, we will eventually run dry and become stuck. Are we taking care of ourselves physically? When you're tired, try reading your Bible. Guess what? Stuck physically means stuck spiritually as well, oftentimes. Are we taking care of ourselves physically? Are we taking care of ourselves emotionally? Are we able to experience a range of emotions? Or do we have, like Kim described me years ago, angry and okay, and that's about it? Guess what? I'm going to get stuck pretty often. Mentally, are, are we learning and growing? Are we reading are we deepening our understanding? Because if not, we will get ourselves stuck pretty quickly. So last week, we sent out uh, a, a worksheet in an email. I told you it takes about 15, 30 minutes, depending, to work through this entire thing. It's not huge, but it helps give some practical steps on how do I begin to restore myself, again, to put myself in a position so that when I come to the end of that mud pit, I'm ready to run again. So first, restoration work. Second, we have to fight for community. We spent a whole month talking about healthy relationships, and those relationships are vital. We were created to need them. None of us is meant to walk through any of this alone. Even on the good days, we were meant for healthy relationships, but we have to fight for community. Because when we get stuck, it's one of the first things we throw out. I'm just too tired. I just don't want to meet with people. What if they ask questions? I'm so tired, I don't even want to answer their questions anymore. Or they asked me last month, and my answer's the same. We kind of have this thing that goes, well, yeah, you said that last time. You should give us a different answer now. But sometimes I'm stuck for more than a week, and my answer's the same. We have to fight for community. We cannot do this alone. Learning to ask the question, how, instead of the question, why. Why is not a very useful question. We tend to go, God, why is this happening to me? Why, why, why? As if I knew the why, everything would be easier. It wouldn't. We're not promised an answer to the question why. We are promised an answer to the question how. God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, Romans 8. God, how are you using this to make me more like you? How are you working in this time? Because you said you use everything for my own good. How are you using this for my good today, God? Give me eyes to see how you're moving today. These prayers, God will answer. If, when we're stuck on why, we tend to just throw ourselves a pity party. How actually goes, God, change the way I see my circumstances because I want to keep moving in the direction you're moving in. Does this make sense, church? Kim's not here to bail you guys out. I need some amens, some head nods. We need to hold on to God's promises. If you remember last week, we actually spent some time talking, what's the difference between knowing God's promises and holding on to God's promises? We can know them mentally, but when we hold on to them, we actually put weight on them. We, we actually put ourselves in a place where, God, if that's not true, I'm going to fall on my face. But I trust you that even if I can't see it, your promises are still true. So I'm going to live as if they're true. We've got to keep our confessions current. Again, the one guarantee I can give you is sin will leave you stuck. And the best way I know, the way the scripture teaches to break that hold of sin is confession. We looked at 1 John 1. Jesus said, or John said through, about Jesus that he is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he said, if you walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, We'll have fellowship with one another and fellowship with God. There is something about the freedom that comes through confessing our sin that puts us in that position to, okay, God, when you're ready to move, I'm ready to run now. I no longer have those weights and chains holding me back, keeping me stuck. We have to keep our confessions current. And finally, we have to choose worship. 
not waiting until it feels good. Oftentimes what we do is we kind of pray those prayers that go, God, if you get me out of this situation, I'll give you this. I'll tell everybody about it if you get me out of the situation. The better option is to go, God, I'm going to praise you right now in the middle of it because I believe that you still deserve it, even if I can't see what you're doing. I think of Peter with this walking on the water, and as long as his eyes were focused on Jesus, he saw a miracle. As soon as his eyes got focused on his circumstances, he begins to sink again. Worship is one of the greatest tools of focusing our eyes on our king. And I believe through doing so, even in the wind and the waves, we will see miracles. But not if we hold worship hostage and go, you move first, then I'll give it to you. You've already done enough and you deserve this, whether I feel like it or not. One of the things we also looked at last week, we touched on, and we're going to spend more time on this week, that's how we should handle being stuck. How do we naturally handle being stuck? We double down, first of all. We keep doing the same things we've always done, even though they're not working anymore. We, we tend to beat our heads against the same wall when God is calling us to try something new. We do the things that got us stuck and then wonder why we, we'll do them harder. Why are we still stuck? Remember, we read a, a children's book called Stuck. And if you guys remember, the little boy gets his kite stuck in a tree, so then he throws his shoe to try to knock the kite out. Doesn't work. So he takes off his other shoe, throws it. That doesn't work. So he picks up the cat. What's he do? Throws it. Doesn't work. So then he goes, oh, I'm such an idiot. And he goes and he gets a ladder. And what's he do? Throws it. And it's a ridiculous story. He ends up throwing the neighbor's house up the tree and a, a whale at some point in time. And finally, he gets fed up and he goes, I'm getting a saw. And so he goes and he gets the saw and he lines it up. And what's he do? <laughs> Throws it. Like, and you read it and we go, oh my goodness. I think his name was Floyd. Come on, Floyd. But many of us do the same thing. We got to be willing to change. We got to be flexible. We cannot just keep doing the things that got us stuck. We got to be willing to change. Naturally, we will double down. And probably the most dangerous, naturally, we turn to comfort sins. We turn to sins seeking comfort. Jesus, when he was in the desert, we talked about that 40 days, the Spirit leads him into the desert. I, I love it. In Matthew chapter 4 is the understatement of all of Scripture. After 40 days, do you know what it says? He was hungry. Duh. Matthew, you could have saved your ink, man. We get it. After 40 days, he was hungry. Then the enemy comes tempting and the things the enemy tempts him with are, you look hungry. How about you solve this problem yourself? Make yourself some bread, man. Why don't you take a shortcut? Just worship me instead. I'll give you everything. You don't, you don't have to go through this whole difficult life thing. And he starts to get tempted, really, truly, to be comfortable. What you're doing hurts. The place you're at hurts. What if you just turned and, and did this instead? Wouldn't that feel better? That's kind of boiling down the temptations of Satan in Jesus' life. Let me ask you guys this question, and, and let's, let's talk about this. Why is sin so much more enticing when we're stuck? When we're in these, these heavy, dry seasons, it seems like the hooks that the enemy is using are, are bigger, and the bait looks and smells even better. Why is sin so much more enticing when we're stuck? Yeah, yeah. Sin is self-serving, and when you're, it, oftentimes when you're stuck, again, if we're, if we just keep that navel gaze focused on me, I'm the one I'm concerned about being stuck. And so, if sin looks like it's offering some kind of lifeline, I'm going to be real tempted to grab it. Why is sin so much more enticing? Sin is always enticing. We we all have different sins that we're kind of tempted by, but there's something about those seasons where it's like extra hard. Joe. Um, that's okay. Yeah. Oftentimes when we're in those stuck places, maybe not every time, but, but often our connection with God has been compromised in some way. Sometimes, again, we're there because of our own sin, which Isaiah 59 says will separate us from our God. 
And all of a sudden, guess who the easiest soldier on the battlefield is to take out? The one who's standing alone. We, we, we have, we're in a compromised state, and we're kind of easier pickings for the enemy sometimes. Jamie. Yeah, there's the whole my truth mentality. Now you have your truth, I have my truth kind of thing. And when I'm stuck in sin, or excuse me, not stuck in sin, I apologize. When I'm stuck in one of these long seasons, all of a sudden, whatever offers me the quickest out, yeah, that's my truth now. That's going to work for me. Because here's the thing, most of us want fixed. We don't really want to learn to depend on God and to walk with him. We just want him to fix the situation now. Rarely does God work like that. There are times when in his grace, he just goes, nope, we're done with that, and it's over. Most often, there's a season that he walks with us through. But if we're honest, most of us aren't interested in that. Just give me the miracle. Just fix it, God. Just make it go away. And that's what sin offers. Oh, I can fix that for you right now. I can make that go away right now. Done. Over. Anyone else? Why is sin so much more enticing when we're stuck? Okay. I'm mad at God because I'm stuck. So I'm going to show him. I'm going to just do what I want to do. Yeah. Let's be honest. We're all little children. <laughs> Every one of us. Oh, Jamie, Jamie looked at her nails. I thought she went, me? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no. All of us, our children, we all throw temper tantrums. And when we're in that spot where we feel like God hasn't given us what we, and I'm putting air quotes on in case you're listening later, deserve, we'll show him. He said, don't touch this. I'm going to go be all over it. He said, don't do that. I'll show him. Nobody tells me what to do. We become children throwing temper tantrums because we don't feel good. My wife will tell you, if I have a cold, I become the biggest baby in our house, hands down, I whine, I mope. Like, even just to get out of the chair, I'm always, and she's like, don't you just have a runny nose? Like, what is all that about? Like, when I don't feel good, I become a huge baby. And the same thing happens spiritually. Okay? A couple things that had come to my mind about why sin is so much more enticing. We're tempted to meet legitimate needs in inappropriate ways. Oftentimes, when we're in these stuck seasons, we have very legitimate needs. Sometimes it is, like Pam was sharing, that more like, you know, uh, thumbing our nose. Is that an old person saying that means like, I'll show you, you thumb your nose at somebody? I don't know. Old people have all these sayings, and I feel like there's one on the tip of my tongue, but I can't come up with it. But it's kind of like thumbing our nose at God. I'm going to do what I want to do. But most oftentimes, what it is, is we have a legitimate need. In those times, we just try to meet it in an inappropriate way, in an expedient way, in a way that does it my way, not God's way. When we're hurting, we want comforted. Is it a sin to want comfort? No, not at all. It is a, it is a very legitimate need to be comforted. Does God promise comfort to his people? He does. Do we wait on him or do we try to meet it in our own way? That's most often what happens. That's why sin looks so enticing, is because I have this legitimate need. And the enemy comes and goes, how about a shortcut? How, how about a way to just turn that off altogether? And we fall for it. Pastor John Ortberg says this, why did I do that? This question is critical because sin is usually tied to some need or another. Indeed, sin is often the attempt to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. If we don't address the need in appropriate ways, we will go right on sinning. It's actually a really good and healthy thing to go, okay, this sin is really tempting me. What's behind it? Like, like what is the need that I have that this sin is promising to meet? 
Why am I so drawn to it right now? Probably because I have a legitimate need. What, it, like, what is it tempting in me? Because until we can get under the surface, all we have to fight our sin with is a quit it mentality. Stop it. Why do I keep doing that? Quit it. There's a um, Bob Newhart, comedian back in like the 90s and stuff, and he has this one um, skit that he did. You can look it up. I think if you just Google Bob Newhart, stop it. Essentially, he's this therapist that somebody comes into his office and he says, hey, um, the first five minutes only cost $5. After that, it's $150 for the full hour. And this lady's like, whoa, why? He goes, never takes longer than five minutes to fix somebody. She's like, okay. He says, clock starting, go ahead. She starts explaining her situation. She's scared of this, and it makes her do that. And he listens for a minute, and he goes, okay, are you, are you ready uh, for my answer for how to fix it? And she's like, yeah. He just yells, stop it. <laughs> she goes, what? He goes, quit it. Don't do that. And she was like, well, well, no, you don't understand. He goes, I don't need to understand. Stop it. And it goes on. She, she wants to get her whole $5 worth, her whole five minutes, so it goes on. But it's showing in, in a really funny way how ridiculous it is. None of us would ever look at somebody else in the midst of this difficult situation and go, just quit it. But oftentimes, that's the only way we treat ourselves. Quit it. Stop it. Why can't I stop that? Until we can understand the legitimate need behind the temptation, all we're going to be left with is slapping our own hands, quit it, stop it, beating ourselves up. Oftentimes, temptation is a legitimate need we're trying to meet in an illegitimate way. Number two, we are tempted to avoid discomfort, pain, and suffering. When we're in these stuck places, it hurts. It is, on our best day, uncomfortable. On our worst day, it is suffering. And we, as human beings, want to pull the plug on all of that as quickly as we possibly can. We want to avoid, to sidestep any kind of pain and suffering. And our culture tells us that's what life should be like. There have actually been, I, I don't have the time to get into it now, there's been all kinds of books written lately on the danger to society of teaching people that they should be happy all the time. It's why depression and suicide have skyrocketed because we live in a culture that, honestly, for the first time in history, can actually pretty confidently promise you don't ever have to feel anything difficult again. Think about this. Indoor plumbing, like in everybody's house, only about 100 years old. We don't even have to be uncomfortable to go to the bathroom. How many TVs in every single house? We don't ever have to be, listen, this can be the worst thing for Americans especially, bored. Have you been bored recently? Talk about suffering. It feels like it, though, and we will do anything to avoid it. It's painful to not be entertained all the time. This is the culture we live in, and if we're not careful, we fall right into it. Shirley read Psalm 23 this morning. Many of us, maybe without thinking, we read it like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Thank God I avoided the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff kept that mess away from me. Many of us, this is how we go through the Christian life, as if this should be the truth. Because of God, I was able to sidestep anything difficult. Everything was good and easy. He only leads me into great things. It's a very American mentality, and this is what many of us expect. So then when we experience discomfort, pain, suffering, we try to find the quickest way out as possible. Here's what Psalm 23 really reads like. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. Not because we avoided it, me and God are good. 
even in the midst of the valley. All your promises are still true because you are with me. You bring me comfort. We are so quick to avoid any kind of discomfort, pain, and suffering that sin becomes real tempting in those times because that's what it promises. Thirdly, we're, we're tempted to take control. When we're stuck for any amount of time, we realize pretty quickly I'm not in control. I can't make myself feel this way. I can't make myself have the, the energy and the passion and whatever it is that I used to have. I'm out of control. And one thing that sin offers to us is control. Then you take control of the situation. Then do things the way you think is best. We feel helpless, weak, stuck. And we reach for control, but we're called to trust and submission. We can't be in control and recognize God's authority at the same time. But when we're in those places, they're uncomfortable. We're stuck. We can't do the things that we long to do. Naturally, most of us, we go, well, then I'll fix it. And we pick up control. We start to white-knuckle it through it. Which, have you ever seen a car stuck in the mud? Like, hopelessly stuck. And there tends to be, I'm going to say, it's a dude sitting in the driver's seat, and he goes, watch this, puts it in low, punches it. What happens? He just digs himself in. Like, and his friends are sitting there, and typically there's one at least smart guy standing around going, no, no, getting covered in mud, you know. But this is how most of us respond when we're stuck. I'll fix it. I'll just try harder. This is that doubling down thing. I'll take control. And we begin to do it our way which leaves us even more stuck. So let me ask this question. Time to be real with each other. What are the comfort sins that we run to? When we find ourselves in one of these difficult seasons, sometimes, I'll be honest, it doesn't even take that long. Sometimes it's just a rough day. But especially in these longer seasons, what are the comfort sins that we run to? Lustful, Lustful sins. Food. Yeah. Yeah. Distractions. Any anything to kind of take our mind off of it. What else? Ooh, picking fights. I'll tell you, I'm wired. It feels good to be in a fight. I feel I feel in control of something because I'm going to overcome them. So yeah. What else? What are the comfort sins that we run to? Or here's the thing, maybe not you guys, of course not. Uh, asking for a friend. What's a comfort sin you've seen a good friend run to instead? Not that you would ever do it, of course. That's it? You guys have run out of the list already? Okay. Purposefully secluding yourself so that you don't have to deal with people. Yeah? Social media? Social media? I, I don't know who coined the phrase doom scrolling, but it, they nailed it. Ugh. There was a scripture yesterday that mentioned something to the effect of you're wasting your life scrolling through other people's. Yeah. yeah. You're wasting your life scrolling through other people's lives. Yeah. What else? What comfort sins do we run to? Any addiction. Okay. Any form of addiction. Alcohol, drugs, things like that. What else? Selfishness, okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm too tired for all of you guys. I'm just going to focus on me, okay? Which kind of is the epitome of almost every sin, if we're honest. Some that I've gone through here. I was going to give you guys the opportunity for this not to get awkward. Like if you were bold enough to say, some things I wasn't going to say, but you weren't. So now you have to hear me say pornography and masturbation. I always say whenever we deal with this with youth, go, I'll say it all first so that you don't have to be embarrassed. One of the greatest sins that our people run to, not greatest in terms of like, I'm not ranking these in terms of like how dangerous they are, but one that has the greatest hold on our culture is pornography and masturbation. The, the numbers are off the charts. It's over 90% of men uh, confess in anonymous surveys 
to regularly viewing pornography, and now it's up uh, almost close to 80% of women. And the numbers don't really change inside the church, outside the church. This is something that is gripping our culture. You can watch a TV show now. I've seen it on, I think, three different TV shows where a man is somewhere looking on the computer and he's looking up something that's not very manly. He's looking up flowers or something like that. And somebody walks in and they go, what are you doing? He says, oh, look at it, porn. And everyone just goes, ha, cool. And they move on because that's the expectation. It's become so normalized. And again, these are jokes, but that it's, it's actually more natural for a guy to look at porn than it is these other things that just aren't like trucks and building a house. I don't know what people look at. I look at flowers. I, I like them. But that's become the norm. And here's the thing we have to understand when it comes to pornography and hand-in-hand and -hand masturbation. This is less about sex than we think it is. Most of us come with this, quit it, stop it. Why can't I stop this? And it's because we're just treating it like we, young people are kind of like, hey, once I get married, though, then I won't have to worry about it anymore because I'll have an outlet, right? Because this is just about sex. Guess what? The numbers stay the same. When people struggle with this, when they're dating, when they're engaged, and when they get married, there's no discernible change because it wasn't really about sex. It has way more to do with control. I can control my own sexuality. I don't have to wait on God and do it his way. I can control how I feel in those moments. I feel out of control in life. When I go and turn the computer on, I'm in control now. It has way more to do with control, with, with distraction and avoidance than it does with sex. Kim has a saying, like when it comes to things like this, sexy things are sexy. You know, like, sex is the wrapper that it all comes in, but what's really behind it is far more devious than that. It has way more to do with distraction and control. And so asking yourselves, instead of just, why can't I quit it? What am I feeling when I'm tempted? I feel really alone, and that becomes my outlet. Well, then guess what? You don't need porn, you need friends, you need community. I feel helpless in my situations and out of control. Well, then what do you need? You need to learn to walk with God and submit in those scenarios, in those times that you feel helpless and out of control, whatever it may be. What am I feeling at those times? Back to that, the question that John Ortberg said, why did I do that? What was really behind it? What need was I actually trying to meet? You'll probably learn it was far less about a sexual appetite than anything else. That's the wrapper that it's wrapped up in. But there are legitimate needs that you have that we choose to turn to things like pornography and masturbation, and they don't work. They don't actually meet those needs, and so most of us, we just keep going back at it again and again and again. What's behind it? What's underneath it? Alcohol and drug use. Oftentimes, this is not just about I don't know, I just really like to party. Most of us have something we're trying to numb with these things. There is something about myself I dislike so much I'd rather feel nothing, and the alcohol and drugs help me to feel nothing. There are things in my past that are so painful, I don't want to deal with them, and so I'll just choose to feel nothing instead. I'll choose to distract myself using drugs and alcohol. It's, it's rarely just about Liquor tastes good. Like, again, there may, that, that may be something in the very beginning, some of that more just, hey, it seems fun stuff. But when you look at people where this is where they go in a hard time, it is not at all about the drugs or alcohol anymore. It's about they're running away from something. And until we start to deal with what is it that I'm actually running away from, what am I turning to drugs and alcohol to find comfort from and allow God into that place, the best we got is stop it, quit it. We will not grow in this area. We may transfer the addiction from something else. We learn, okay, so I'll stop drinking. And we just become addicted to something else instead because we didn't actually deal with the root problem. Is this making sense, church? This is heavy, so I get like just some stares right now, but you're with me. Okay. Here's my personal drug of choice, shopping. What? Again, 
When other people are looking at manly things, I'm on Amazon looking at shoes. <laughs> Natalie knows it. And here's what I've started to realize with me. I become really tempted to shop. And, and not that online shopping or, or going to a store, not that shopping is necessarily a sin. Not at all. But when I start to do it in ways to find comfort, here's what I've learned about myself. When I, when I look at my coming weeks, months, whatever, and I don't see anything worth looking forward to, I feel stuck, and it just feels like every day starts to get the same. Who doesn't love to get mail? When I click buy now on Amazon, and I know that in a couple days, guess what? I'm excited to check the mailbox. This is dumb. This makes me sound four. I am. I am excited to check the mailbox. But how many of you have done this? You click buy now, and you're excited, and oh, it came. And then you sit it on the counter and walk away because i got more important things to do, and yeah, I'll, I'll open it later. I already know what's in the box. The anticipation's over. I wasn't even excited about the thing. I was looking to distract myself. I needed something to look forward to, and I'm putting need in air quotes again, something to look forward to, and so I buy something. I spend money because there, at least for a moment, it gives me something to look forward to. You go, that's a kind of a twisted way to handle things. That's me. Uh, gambling is one that uh, just I've talked with some people even during this week and saying, hey, like, help me put up a list. What are some comfort sins? Gambling is one that, honestly, I don't understand a whole lot. So I'm, I'm, uh, I want to be careful not to like say, here's why people gamble when I don't know all that well. I know that there's an entertainment piece to it. A lot of gambling begins with entertaining. Boy, you like watching football. You want to make it real interesting? Put some money on the game. And it begins with this kind of like entertainment piece that then becomes something wholly different. There's also this, it can be a quick way out thing. I'm not where I want to be financially, but boy, I'll tell you what, one weekend could change everything. I could hit it big. I could, and so it's that, it's that shortcut through. Asking for a friend. Uh, does anyone know, like gambling, what is the... What is the draw with gambling? What's behind someone who is struggling with a gambling addiction? Big. Winning big. Again, it's that easy way out. I could spend five bucks and make how much? I could spend 500 bucks and make how much? Yeah. So, so often it, it can be attached to that lack of community. There's, I guess, I guess what, if you're addicted to gambling, there's like-minded people at the casino. You know, you can go find people who, even, even in a bad way, are where you are. And it, that at least brings some comfort. I'm not alone. Even though I'm sitting at a slot machine, there's somebody sitting in the, in the slot machine next to me. Okay? Entertainment. We've been told that we should always be comfortable and entertained. Did you ever try to go a week without the TV? <coughs> Did you ever try to go a week without your phone? What am I going to do in the bathroom? <laughs> Wash your hands and get out. Like, <laughs> Did you ever not have your phone and go into the bathroom? Oh, oh no. You'll have a panic attack for a minute. We have been told that we should always be comfortable and always entertained at every moment. We can't even go into a restaurant and have dinner without TVs. You know what I mean? Like, the thought of being bored is terrifying to most of us. I'm supposed to what? Drive in silence in my car? There's a, a song by a band named 21 Pilots uh, called Car Radio. And, and I think I've shared this before. The guy, in a very quirky, funny way in his lyrics, he says that his car radio was stolen, and he's talking about how horrible it is. He goes, because all I have is my own thoughts now. I got to get that radio back. He's like, I'm stuck in a car with my own thoughts, and it's horrible. 
And that's how most of us feel. There's nothing to entertain me. There's nothing to, to distract me. What am I going to do? And we actually start to get nervous. Most of us talk like addicts when it comes to our phone. I could give it up if I wanted to. I just don't, I just don't want to. I'm too important. What if somebody had to get a hold of me? What are they going to do? Come knock on my door? <laughs> Text someone else in my house that has a phone and tell them? Come on. We have a problem. And we can laugh about it now, but we have a problem. It is not real life to be constantly entertained, to be constantly comfortable. It is not even possible. When was the last time you were scrolling through social media going, I feel so alive? You probably find yourself going, <sighs> but there's something in us that goes, this next scroll will be different. When you're channel surfing, nothing is on. I have 4,000 channels. I'll start back through the loop again. Maybe something good has started now. We're promised it, and we buy into it hook, line, and sinker, but it does not deliver. It actually leaves us feeling anxious and depressed Fear of missing out. We're so aware of what everybody else is doing in their lives. We're convinced we're missing out on it. Unless I can be in 10 places at once, I'm going to miss out on something. It's a lie. And it leaves us stressed and anxious. Gluttony. This is a fun one. Eating to avoid feeling something. I don't like how I feel. I don't like uh, whether it's how I feel about myself. I don't like how I feel in this situation, whatever it may be. And eating at least gives me something to look forward to. At least I have something that I can enjoy. And we begin to eat instead of feel. But there's a shadow side to this. This one gets poked fun at a lot. And by poked fun at, I mean we kind of go, oh, yeah. So going to a buffet all the time. My, I plan on going to a buffet after church, just to let you guys know. Kim is gone, and so that's where the kids and I will be. So I am not against buffets. But there's a shadow side to gluttony, and it's a hyper-focus on what I'm eating, on all of the healthy things that I'm eating. Counting every calorie, and I, I'm told this is a thing, I don't even know. Counting macros, is that a thing? Yeah. Thank you. I have no idea what that even means. But in that same way, ask yourself this. Who spends more time, money, and energy focusing on their food? The, the typical glutton that we think of, the, the overeater, or the person who hasn't had a carb since 1994? It's the same thing, just repackaged. It's, it's the same attempt to control and to numb and to avoid. It's just gone in the other direction instead. We have to be so careful with these things, with even how we eat. We, we either choose no control or hyper control, but it has the same root. Self-harm. Again, this is one that I tread very lightly on. This is not one that I have struggled with personally, and I know it is, is very close to some. And so I don't want to speak out of turn, so I'm just going to speak in some generalities. But it is often an attempt to avoid mental or emotional pain. As I've just been doing some reading on it, and so my, my understanding of it is purely academic, but people will get stuck in these emotional loops, sometimes like reliving some abuse or something that's happened to them in their past. And harming themselves is the only tool they know to, like, to kind of break the loop, to stop feeling that. At least I get to feel something different. Or, or some people, because of things in their past, have just learned to turn everything off. Typically out of self-preservation, I'm just numb. I can't feel anything. And when I harm myself, at least now I can feel something. It, it is a path to destruction. I think that there is definitely a spiritual side to it. But this is where that we're physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual beings all at the same time comes together. We have these, these emotional wounds that we don't know what to do with. And for some people, self-harm is the only way they've ever learned to cope. Gossip and judgment. When I don't feel good about my own situation, it sure feels good to feel better about yours. At least I'm better than them. Did you hear what they did? Many of us, when we get into these stuck times... When, when we're feeling low about ourselves, 
the quickest way to snap out of it is to go, but did you hear about them? Let me tell you about their situation. Or some of us know that we shouldn't gossip, so we keep it in. But if man, if people could hear our thoughts and the way that we judged other people, really all it is is going, I feel so bad about myself, I got to find somebody doing worse than me. Because then I can at least say, at least I'm not them. Kim was reading and sharing with me this week when, when Jesus was teaching and he said, uh, in the same way that you judged, so you will be judged. And there's absolutely this element uh, of Jesus going, those that aren't gracious are unable to receive grace from the Father. But also going, the way that I judge others is the same way that I would judge myself. It feels good in the moment and it feels like a way out, but I will eventually turn that finger and point it right back at myself again. And it, which will drive me down even lower than where I am. We gossip and we judge because we typically feel so bad about ourselves. I got to find somebody doing worse than me. And now it feels really good to get other people on my side going, hey, did you hear what they did? Now you're with me, right? I'm not alone in this anymore. Cool. We both hate them. And it's sick and it's twisted. But this is the sin we turn to. Isolation. I got two more. Isolation. There is definitely a space for healthy disengagement. But when we run away from people, when we run away from community, because I just don't have it in me to deal with them, because what if they ask that question again? There's this downward spiral that happens. The less time I spend with people, the less I want to spend time with people. So I spend less time and I want to spend until eventually we're utterly alone. And again, the soldier sitting down alone on the battlefield is easy pickings. We are called into community. Hebrews 10.25, don't forsake the gathering together of believers so that you may encourage one another as the day approaches. So you may spur one another on to love and good deeds. We are not meant to do this alone. Do not give in to the, the temptation to isolate, to disengage and to be alone. It will not give you what it promises. Finally, hyper-engagement. Some of us, the way that we handle this is we just start engaging in all the good things we can find. We just start doing anything and everything. Oh, the church is open? I'll be there, no problem. Why? There's some distraction to it. Typically, it's because we've bought into the lie that the more I do, the more valuable I am, and I don't feel very valuable right now, so I'll just start doing more to earn value because look at all that I'm doing and it abuses the grace of God. What you've given me freely isn't enough. I'm going to go earn more. Look at all the good things I'm doing. And so I just become hyper engaged so that I never have to sit alone with my thoughts. I'm always doing something. Here's the thing about these. We have to learn to ask the question, why did I do what I did? Why am I so tempted by that? I think the best question is, why am I so tempted in that direction? I was, I was talking with uh, Pastor Ken Hawkins, who runs Really Recovered Ministry this last week, and we were just talking about some discipleship stuff. And, and he said this, and it, it struck me. He said, now in their discipleship groups that they meet with, they talk more about their temptations than they do their sin. And here, here's what he said. If we learn to confess temptation to sin, we do a lot less confessing of sin. They are so devoted to we want to be who Jesus called us to be that they don't wait until they actually step over the line to start talking to one another and going, hey, I need your help. Hey, pray for me. Hey, how do we get through this? As soon as they feel tempted to sin, they start coming to somebody and going, hey, I was really tempted by this today. I didn't even do it, but I need some help because I might next time. If we learn to confess temptation to sin, we do a lot less confessing of sin. We have to understand what legitimate needs we're trying to meet through our comfort sins. Because here's the thing we gotta get, guys. Comfort sins aren't even just illegitimate ways to meet actual needs. They don't even work. You will not find the comfort you're looking for in sin. You will not find the comfort that it promises. They are lies that make promises that they will never be able to fulfill. God isn't saying about our sins, well, sure, that looks fun. And yeah, it works. It's just not quite the way that I want you to do it. He's going, it's a lie. 
the reason that I've told you to stay away from these is because they do not work. All they do is drive you further in and away from me. If any of these comfort sins, as I was going through them, if any of them you were going, yep, that's my brand, you know it doesn't work, which was by your back the next day because it didn't work. It doesn't give you what it promises. It's why all of these comfort sins we looked at can become addictions. Every one of them can become addictions because it didn't work last time. Maybe I'll try more. That still didn't work. Maybe I'll try more. Maybe I'll try more until eventually we just, it's all we know. And we become dependent on it, but it never actually delivers on the promise. Relationship with Jesus is the only way to truly have these needs met. He promises comfort to those who walk with him, and he's the only one capable of providing it. Our comfort sin drives us away. Again, Isaiah 59, your sins have separated you from your God. His face is turned from you so that he cannot hear your prayers. That's the result of sin. But he says, blessed are those who mourn, for you will be comforted. We talked about it last week. We have to do the restoration work. We have to fight for community, learning to ask how. God, what what is it you're doing? How are you moving instead of why? Holding on to his promises, keeping our confessions current, and choosing to worship. We got to confess our sin and hold on to God's promises to meet all of our needs his way. It's the only way we make it through. Ultimately, it's God's desire that we get unstuck. It may not be today. There is a process to it. But if you're stuck today, it's his desire that you learn to trust him more today than you did yesterday. That's how God is moving right now. Will we trust him for it? Or will we choose the shortcut of sin and drive ourselves deeper into the mud? Let me pray, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Lord Jesus, I'll just speak for myself. There is, there's something wicked in me that sin is just always tempting, God. I can stand up here and I can speak this truth and I can believe this truth, but the next time sin is put in front of me, man, it looks good. And maybe there's something in me that goes, maybe this time it'll work, I don't know. But God, I trust you that you say that you are the way, the truth, and the life. That you are the way that I fully become the person I was meant to be. You are the way that I find comfort, that I find purpose in this life. Anything short of that is a lie and leads to destruction. God, would you you bring these things back to me the next time I feel stuck, tomorrow morning, later today? Would you remind me of these truths? Would you help me to see past sin, God, See past the temptation to what is going on inside of me and why am I tempted to turn my back on God for it? Would you help us to deal with it at that level, Father, so that we could also see you working beautifully in our story, meeting all of those needs that we have because you gave us those needs. May we rely on you. God, may we walk in community. May we have brothers and sisters who love us enough to hold us accountable on our sin, hold us accountable even on our temptation. Not just so that we can quit it and stop it, but so that we can experience life that is truly life. So that the world around us will see life that is truly life. And God, that they would be jealous for it. Because all they've ever known is the trappings of sin. And when they see us living out life and faith, they will be jealous. So God, may your kingdom be advanced. May we, your people, become more dependent on you today than we were yesterday, more hopeful that you will move today than we were yesterday. Meet with us, I pray, God, in Jesus' name, amen.